Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast, a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we uh, we had a huge, huge runway of show out ahead of us, and we've burned through it all, and uh, we are fresh back from our big San Francisco Sketchfest show. That's right. If our If our show were an airplane... About to take off. We're we're in that sandy part <laughs> when the runway runs out, and uh, we're recording this fairly close to the release date for a change. So it gives us an opportunity to talk about timely matters like that Sketchfest show that we uh, just did last week. One of my favorite things about Sketchfest was that you and I booked like a week long trip to go see a bunch of shows and do our show and hang out and see friends and stuff, and uh, when whenever we would interact with other people who were at Sketchfest to perform, they'd say, oh, how long are you in town, would we tell them, and then they'd look at us like we had two heads, or they'd look at us like we had a Star Trek podcast and go, why are you staying for that long? And we'd say, because we wanted to see comedy shows and pod- live podcasts and stuff. It really made me think a lot about whether or not people who work in comedy, like what proportion of those people are also fans of comedy. And I just sort of assumed that <laughs> that like you consume comedy when you work in the comedy space. But to a person, Ben, you're right. Like everyone we talked to was almost aghast that we would stay a week. And I'm really glad we did. I really like going to live podcasts and I love going to stand-up shows and stuff. But I bet if we as podcasters had to do what stand-ups do, which is go be at stand-up shows all the time and then, you know, get five minutes of the stage time to ourselves, we would be less excited about devoting a week to seeing other people's stuff. That analogy makes perfect sense. I mean, it's going to the workplace to hang out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of like we're the rare podcasters at least in the comedy podcasting end of things that didn't come to this from a prior career in comedy of any kind so (laughs) we don't have that we're not like burnt out on it to begin with the way i think some people probably are it's like if all of the venues at sketchfest were my basement (laughs) then i would totally understand the reticence towards uh going and hanging out the way we did yeah, I mean it's it's funny like it, we get to be fans of it and enjoy it still and I wonder like we we've had a couple of conversations over the couple of years we've been doing this about how we can walk into a room of comedy podcast people but we're not considered comedians uh because we don't have like a a comedy career also outside of the show. You get challenged when you're in professional company at a festival this way, you're often asked, what are you here for? What are you doing? Right. What are you, basically? <laughs> and I don't know whether I will ever come around to the idea of calling myself a comedian, because I feel like that is a totally separate and different talent than what you and I do. But yeah. uh, but to be considered you know, part of the gang, I think, was a great feeling, for sure. It was amazing, and we had such a fun show. We had uh, we had like not really enough time for our show, but because we had we had to do two hour and fifteen minute podcasts in two hours, <laughs> uh, we had uh, Greatest Generation and Friendly Fire <gasps> both on the same bill, and we had like five minutes to turn it around. So it it was uh, it was a bit of a frantic show, but I think. Uh, I think people enjoyed it. It seemed uh, seemed like a lot of people stayed around afterwards to to say hi and you know take pictures and stuff. It was really fun. Somebody brought a ton of Star Trek trading <laughs> cards to give away. Show night is always a a hectic time for me and us. I mean, from load in all the way to the end of the show, like yeah. that light at the end of the tunnel, which is often the opening of the door after the show to 
you know, all of our friends is just a really great reward for all the work it takes to put it on. Like, I think, I think we had a great venue and I think it was so fun to look out and see it, see it packed with our people. Yeah. Great. It was really cool. It was a beautiful room. It was like a old time theater with a balcony and a orchestra. Like <laughs> it still doesn't really seem real to me that that is happening for this show. Our parents were there for the first time <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That was your mom's first ex- experience of uh, of the live thing, right? And it was your your wife's first experience since our first ever live show. Yeah. My wife was at the first ever show at the Rendezvous in Seattle, which was, I think, around 50 people. And so the scale yeah. of this Sketchfest show was a lot different. And the scale of the, of the afterhang was a lot different. Like, you can try to explain to your mom and your wife what it's like after a show to... <laughs> to meet all these fun people, but until until they see it, I I wouldn't believe it either. So that was it was neat to to share that with them. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a great time. I really enjoyed doing it with you. We had uh, we had our co-host from Friendly Fire, John Roderick, on both shows. So uh, uh, he sat in on the um, on the Greatest Gen version, and uh, we did. We did it with him one other time at uh, Max FunCon East, so I'm pretty sure that's the version of uh, of the Premature Assimilation tour that is going to go in the donor feed around uh, Pledge Drive time uh, in the spring. But uh, it's a really but, uh, yeah. fun and funny show. It's uh... John is great at that, and like we were marveling afterwards. Like we we take notes and like try to think of things that will be interesting and funny to say like ahead of time (laughs) john does not he is capable of like sitting there with us and and punching just as hard (laughs) without having prepared basically at all yeah it's a special performance magic that maybe one day after hundreds and hundreds of reps we will have but (laughs) it's a it's a singular thrill to share the stage with both of you two people who work in very different ways and yet like reach the same end in in comedy like it was hilarious to be up there right back at you buddy speaking of thrills adam do you want to talk about the episode we came here to talk about today i don't know what could be less thrilling than deep space nine season one episode 16 the foreskin (laughs) (laughs) the forsaken do you realize how incredible this is No, of course you don't. It's an episode that starts with Cisco's commander's log. He's basically saying like these these boring Federation ambassadors are here to go look at our big hole, and uh, <laughs> no one wants a hole examination, especially three people, four yeah. people really. <laughs> and so he's uh, he's talking about how he has dumped the responsibility for keeping. These people, these ambassadors entertained onto Julian Bashir. It's a simple job. Just keep them happy and away from me. And we cut to Bashir in Quark's bar and he is really struggling to like do all of the niceties of diplomacy. Uh, even though like even though these these diplomats are Federation people talking to a Federation person, they're expecting him to just bend over backwards uh, about everything. Perhaps we should all just get some rest. So often the personality type, who is the ladies' man that Bashir considers himself to be, like that skill is transferable to things like diplomacy. And I was really surprised that he couldn't flip that switch over into another area. Yeah. It seems like a, a shared skill. Like when you're uh, when you have a, a ton of charisma, the way that he at least believes uh, himself to have. Right. Like he's he's just giving up before it even begins. The ambassadors are are definitely not doing anything to ease his nerves. Like they're criticizing Cisco's decision to put a first year officer on them and they're all asking for different things that are kind of mutually exclusive and uh you know asking awkward things of him you know are you actually 
actually suggesting we indulge in one of those disgusting Ferengi sex programs? No. This entire time where Bashir is sitting at this at this table trying to trying to keep these people interested, uh, you can just see the the storm a brewing over his right shoulder. <laughs> there is a uh, a cotton candy thundercloud <laughs> over at the Davo table. <laughs> in many ways, Waxana Troy is the person you want in a casino, right? She's, yeah. She's casino fun. She's <laughs> she's going to blow on all the dice. She's going to be the loudest cheerer at the craps table. Yeah. Like, she's an energy person that she's, way. She's rich and she's also fancy in a trashy kind of way. <laughs> She's Reno fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. He hear, we hear Loxana shriek, and she starts complaining that she has uh, been robbed. Oh, my latinum hair brooch! And uh, no sooner has she started to toss her authority around. I want everyone strip searched until you find my brooch. Then Odo comes in. May I be of service? <laughs> and uh, uses the investigative technique of looking around to find <laughs> the thief. <laughs> and uh, I guess he like deduces that because uh, she can't read guilt on Quark, then there's like some other alien in there that also is like kind of like a, a Ferengi. It made sense that since you couldn't read Quark, you might not be able to read this charming fellow either. That guy's got pockets full of stolen merchandise and Odo takes that guy off and uh, uh, locks him up, presumably. But uh, Loxana is positively sprung off of Odo after this little event. Oh, how perfectly brilliant of you. It's like she was tied to railroad tracks and Odo saved her before the train <laughs> ran her over. It's that level of obsession. You know, the obsession right. that often uh, someone has for the person who saves their life. What do you think about the Loaxana Troy of this episode, Adam? Like, I, I, she seems like I, she was always kind of a like a colorful character in TNG. She seems like she's really been like put into cartoon mode, at least with her costume and hair style in this. Like, she would never have had pink hair in TNG, would she? Right. Uh, my feelings about her change throughout the episode and up front it's fair to say that i was resistant to her presence the way that <laughs> that odo is i mean odo right. is basically the viewer proxy in in that he's trying to wiggle away from her he's trying to put her off on other people he's trying to change the channel it's yeah. it's not happening i'm just picturing you watching the tv stamping on the floor like my dad stamping on the <laughs> wheel well when he was teaching me to drive, you know, trying to hit the brakes that aren't there. <laughs> yeah, uh, driver's ed style. <laughs> Loxana conveys the idea that, like, she may be in it for the unique bang. I've never been with a shapeshifter. Being with? <laughs> Odo being one of a kind is something that really appeals to her sexually, and that's a part of her personality that I'm not sure we've gotten very much of from TNG. Like, we've we sort of gotten the whiff that she's, she's DTF. <laughs> right. And she's embraced her own sexuality, and she's proud, and she's like a strong female character in, in all the right ways. That's been rewritten a couple of times, though, because, like, there's definitely at least one episode of TNG where she's trying to marry a guy just because he's rich and and powerful right yeah her reasons for romance never seem fully romantic they always seem like they're couched in something else the way her sexuality works is something that is very familiar from television you know the the kind of oversexed female character who goes and gets what she wants is something i've seen a lot on tv and uh in my life, I've met women that are sexually awakened and and go get what they want, but it's never this kind of like va va voom, like you know, pushing themselves up against uh, a nervous man kind of thing. It's it it seems like that's either a generational thing or a television trope or just something that I haven't encountered in my life. Uh, who knows why? <laughs> 
women haven't been throwing themselves at me like this. It's such unfamiliar territory, Ben. <laughs> so I, I don't know, like, if I know how to judge it, but it's like, it's so, like, it's so weird to imagine somebody like this, right? This is pretty much the wheelhouse of when Sex in the City first went on the air, right? And if hmm. Waxana is anyone, she's going to be Samantha. She's a total Samantha. In the way that I'm a total Charlotte. Yeah, you're a real Char dog. <laughs> I guess I'm a Miranda. You can't you can't self-appoint as a as a carry, can you? Yeah, I mean that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a Miranda. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. I guess what we could consider the B story is O'Brien going bad day dat gif on the computer. <laughs> Fusion power plant is operating within normal parameters. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's basically picking up his keyboard and smacking it into the monitor. It's a bloody inefficient system. To the degree that, uh, like, he attracts the attention of his coworkers. In any other office environment, I think he'd be sent home. The boss even comes out and says, "Like, why don't you, why don't you take it easy on that poor machine, Miles?" Miles is like, "Do not send me home, <laughs> anywhere but there." <laughs> O'Brien has has got like a a lot of thoughts about how a computer and a reactor should be set should be set up and how things should go. And the Cardassians clearly designed and implemented the space station with a very different philosophy. So, you know, when the operating efficiency isn't within the parameters that O'Brien likes, it's really frustrating to him. And he's, you know, he's advocating for like a, a teardown and rebuild on the scale of like a several year project. And Cisco's journey up to this point has been like, I'm, I'm, gonna like take this command seriously even though i didn't want to initially it's become interesting and compelling and <laughs> and like and it plays into things that uh that i didn't know that i wanted to do with my career and somehow in the last like couple of episodes he has slipped back into like god i fucking really don't care about any of this shit no o'brien i'm not gonna authorize rebuilding the computer from the ground up like who cares <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that, like, in the absence of Jake, uh, he sort of becomes station dad to everyone else, a a figure of whom everyone just sort of asks things, and it's up to him to either grant permission or deny it, and then he sort of walks off shrugging his his shoulders. Yeah, and there's no character for whom that is more frustrating than O'Brien because, like, every printer tray that he opens has no paper in it, and (laughs) it's just... Like, it, it is like a, a comedy of computer errors. PC load letter? What the fuck does that mean? Uh, is this the moment where the probe comes through the hole? Yeah, so like sort of simultaneously, the ambassadors minus Loxana and Bashir come on the on the bridge and an object comes through the wormhole. And It looks to me like a simple human brand garbage can that you have in your kitchen. Yeah, the one that should cost $65 but cost $130 for some reason. It's a great garbage can. It's the only garbage can you need. Yeah. I'm not going to say I didn't spend the $130. I'm just saying, like, come on. <laughs> it's fucking, it's a bunch of sheet metal and like a piece of plastic to make a, a foot pedal. This episode of The Greatest Generation is not brought to you by Simple Human Garbage Cans. Oh, could you imagine if they sponsored us and sent us free garbage cans? I might covet that sponsorship more than the Casper one. (laughs) It's a garbage can. You use it a third of your life. We still haven't made podcast bingo blackout because stamps.com never called. We're just looking at an incomplete bingo card. Yeah. Well, I don't know. uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't even know if I would approve that one. We'd have to see. You think that's beneath us? I like going to the post office. It's a way for me to leave my home, <laughs> which lately is is really good for me. I think and my mental health. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you, man. Like like all of the excuses are good. <laughs> when the diplomats come up on on the station, there's a great take on Cisco where 
he does the like biting the insides of his cheeks when when he first sees what's going on and then like gets a big grin on his face and turns around and is like welcome that feeling where you thought someone you invited to a party out of courtesy that you'd never in a million years thought would actually show up has shown up somebody you thought was expendable doesn't really matter uh yeah they they are just as annoying up here on the command level as they were down in the bar Cisco has a lot more tools in his tool belt for using on them. And he says, like, there's going to be a complete briefing for the uh, diplomatic delegation. Uh, Why don't you guys all go down to the promenade and watch it from there? Uh, That's like the best the best seats in the house for this anyways. And uh, we are going to deal with it up here. So what we've got constructed here is uh, an A, B and C story. Weighed about equally, I would say, for now. Sure. So they start scanning this garbage can. They wave their hands over the sensor. Yeah, this is the updated version of the original Simple Human garbage can, the, like, chrome one that, like, you don't really see them anymore because they didn't have the smudge-free coating on them, <laughs> and uh, and they've they've just not aged well. Yeah, that's a bad look. Yeah, but... Uh, they start scanning it and and like downloading files and it's a it's a weird thing it's like i think at some point somebody says it's got enough computing power to be the core of a galaxy class starship but it doesn't have sensors or like any processes as far as they can tell i was shocked that they connected their computers to this alien probe after just meeting it when uh-huh. Every instance in Federation history when this has happened has resulted in at least the destruction of a ship, and and occasionally many. Like, you remember uh, that episode Contagion? There was an entire TNG episode about this. Yeah. And they destroyed a galaxy-class ship in the process. Be honest, Adam. There are like two dozen TNG episodes about this. There's also uh star trek one and star trek four are about this right. <laughs> a little bit of a retread and yeah. look you can retread a story i think as many times as you would like as long as those permutations show some sort of lessons learned from the previous time if one person had expressed any kind of doubt before the link up like remember the yamato <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he points to the bumper sticker that he's taped up in his workstation. <laughs> yeah, there are real Yamato truthers on the station, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yamatotruth.org is, uh, is, it makes for really compelling reading, but it's a little bit light on the fact-checking, in my experience. Loose Latinum is a great documentary movie about that conspiracy, <laughs> too. <laughs> I, like... And O'Brien doesn't go so far as to, like, take the little dip switch on the floppy disk and, and click it over to, uh, to file-safe mode. You know, computer viruses can't melt duranium, Adam. <laughs> yeah, so fucking O'Brien just uh, goes ahead and, and plugs his USB drive into it. Right, yeah, and, like, and they download the, the files and they're going to start looking at it. And, um, you know, that seems to be just the procedure that is taking place today. Meanwhile, uh, down in Odo's uh, constabulary office, uh, LT shows up and she is, she's like gone to a slightly more realistic color of wig and a much more lingerie evoking style of shirt. Is it the dress? Or is it my figure? Honestly, it's your bra. And uh, she really, like, puts the moves on Odo. She's like... Odo. It rolls off the tongue. Uh. I was uh, surprised that they never address whether or not she can read his thoughts. Her decolletage is a war crime! (laughs) She could cause many car accidents! You never know if a head of state will be able to maintain his focus around her! How can she be a diplomat? Those breasts are like the shaved heads of Winston Churchill! (laughs) Ben, a picnic always means fuck, right? Oh, is it, she, she invites him on a picnic? Yeah. 
Man. She's like, look, uh, I've been up to those sex booths, and they can be reprogrammed to to a picnic scene. The last time she went on a picnic, it did not go well for her. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's what I call PTSD. (laughs) Picnic traumatic stress disorder. Exactly. Guys, my new comedy album's about to drop. <laughs> it's a it's a tight 90 seconds. This is this is why nobody takes us seriously as comedians at the sketch right. fest, Adam. Mm, if only I could walk around with the crickets drop just always playing whenever I say anything. <laughs> that would be appropriate. Um Ben, do you think the Hollow Suites operate the way arcade games used to where like the really good games are fifty cents, and oh. regular games are a quarter. Like, and the analog to that is like all the sex stuff is a lot of latinum, and then like picnic <laughs> scene is is like a corner of a bar of latinum. If Cork didn't own, own them, I'm sure we would have established this by showing a scene of him dropping a bar of latinum into the slot with a string attached to one end and pulling it yeah. back out. Oh man, I could never get that move to work. I think we were born too late. I think that early vending machines were vulnerable to that exploit, but uh, they figured something out. You remember how exciting it was to put a fiver into a quarter changer at an arcade and get, like, the heavy handful of quarters? Yeah. God, that was a good feeling. Good times. It's the only thing that's ever felt sizable in my hands. <laughs> Odo manages to, like, slip away from her grasp, and we get uh, we get him, like, walking up to ops and like the entire senior staff has been put on scan the probe duty uh which seems like like for a thing that doesn't have any known purpose and uh doesn't you know doesn't seem to be that interesting they've devoted a lot of resources to it but before we can get to that odo uh, goes into commander cisco's office and is like Hey, dude, um, so one of those diplomats is not leaving me alone and has actually, like, gotten pretty grabby W slash R slash T, the groin area. I'd like to explain to you a concept called running interference. <laughs> did you did you take that implication away from when she she walked up on him in uh, in his office? It really looked to me like she was going for dick. Uh, do you believe that the junk grab was more than implied? I think they explicitly implied a, a junk grab. I mean, it's framed so you can't see, but her her arm is working in the way of, like, some over-the-pants penis touching. What do you think your resting state dick size is, if you're Odo? Because you got to put a bunch of thought into it, right? Well, even more interesting than that does he even have a dick when he is presenting as having clothes on does he bother with like making the shape under the under the pants when his whole body is just like a representation of a humanoid if that's true then i bet there were days when he did fly some wang <laughs> yeah. and uh, and it didn't go right socially right like like he chose too much <laughs> or too little <laughs> Yeah, like... That's the last time I'll hang dong at a party. Like the day that he flies the pool noodle <laughs> walking around the promenade. Not a great day. <laughs> That's probably the last day he does. Yeah. And then, like, as soon as someone opens his zipper, it's just, like, can of snakes. What are you doing now? Cisco begins by laughing at Odo and is like, oh, this is hilarious. Your discomfort is making me very happy. Have you thought of letting her catch you? Sir. <laughs> and Odo Odo continues on with how awful this is for him. And Cisco sort of pivots into, look, I'm not going to do you any favors here because I think this is a learning experience for you. I can't help you, Odo. Yeah, it's it's kind of not super far from the advice Picard would have at a time like this, you know? Like, right. This is, this is a learning moment, and, and now your job is to learn as much as you can from it. 
So back to the B story, uh, O'Brien's now getting negged by the computer voice. <laughs> and O'Brien looks like he's going crazy about this. The computer's whole personality has changed. She's talking to me in a whole new way. And uh, she misses me when I'm gone. Like, I leave work, and then something calls me back to work, computer-wise. So you got to believe me, right? (laughs) Everyone's sort of, like, rolling in their office chairs a little further away from him. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's, like, a pretty quick scene, because it is, like... It is like basically from then on the station just starts to completely fall apart. Like Odo like tries to escape from Loxana by getting on an elevator and she invites herself on and the elevator like stops in the tube and uh and that's like the first like bad malfunction that they've had, but it's the first of many. And uh it becomes clear that the computer is kind of doing this at Chief O'Brien. That's there's an interesting shot here. Uh you see you see Odo and and Loxana get on the cargo elevator uh shot up front and then they break the line and shoot from reverse and you get to see just how cargo elevator like this whole ride system is cuz you get to see the the structure of the station go by whizzing by yeah and there's no there's it looks not even very like dangerous. yeah there's no gate or door or anything to protect them. Uh, if you if you like if you like bent over to pick up a pen that you dropped, you could hit your head and just brain yourself based on how fast they're going. I've got to believe Rom isn't allowed to ride these. <laughs> He's too much of an idiot. <laughs> you take the stairs, Rom. <laughs> In case of fire or being Rom, take stairs. Rom sophisticated enough to stage an assassination. <laughs> <laughs> Too dumb for elevators. <laughs> um, so Brian is like, listen, Cisco, like I could fix this elevator if we were on the Entrepreneur, but we are on the Cardassian-built space station, Deep Space Nine, and uh, like re- rerouting the EPS conduits is easier said than done. With this computer, it's always been like a wrestling match. And uh, Cisco's like, well, get started on it, if that's what is th- what the fix is, and uh, we'll see how long it takes. Like, it seems like we've never done this before. And so they just tell Odo and Luoxana to hang out. Like, they've attempted to use the transporter, and the transporter's not working. Great. Everything's in working order, except nothing's working. This entire episode has been leading up to the idea of getting Luoxana and Odo locked in a dark space together and becoming vulnerable to each other. You've got to believe that that is in the in the story cloud version of this episode. That's the dead center yeah. circle. It's what would happen if we locked Odo and Loxana in a literal elevator together. It's it's a great it's a great thing to get to. Like I don't I don't love the way they got to it, but I mean it's a like Odo is a is so emotionally closed off as a character. He's he's all about business and you know is constantly admonishing people that humanoids spend way too much time trying to fuck each other and get into relationships and you know wasting time entertaining themselves and stuff and and then you've got Luoxana who is like is like like basically the opposite end of the spectrum. Like all she cares about is relationships and and boning down and connecting with people on an emotional level like even her most annoying episodes are kind of about her forming emotional bonds with people there's a little bit too much shared between picard and odo for this to feel like a totally unique circumstance though the difference here is that it actually gets to a conclusion where i don't know if waxana and picard ever reach a satisfying conclusion of either them hating each other forever or or them having the bond that Odo and Loxana do by the end of this episode. It's a shame because if if it hadn't reached a conclusion, then they could have had an episode where they have a, a Picard cameo and he comes on, on board the station and he and Odo go do some drinking and commiserate about <laughs> <laughs> Loxana. Would have been a real fun, wow. <laughs> real fun scene. That that would is that's a great note session for sure. Yeah, 
Like, I, if I had been in the writer's room, I don't know if I could have talked them out of winding, wrapping this episode up the way they do, but I, I, bought, I bet I could have tempted them with that little idea. The thing about any locked in an elevator story is you need two components, right? You can't just lock people in an elevator. You also need a clock. And the clock that's put into motion here is the idea that Odo needs to get back in the bucket. Bad things will happen if he does not get into the bucket. Yeah, and he is not willing to be that vulnerable, uh, not just with a stranger, but with a stranger he's kind of afeared of and annoyed by at the beginning of this episode. And uh, Well, let's talk a little bit about like how they introduce that, because when when the idea is first breached like it's it seems dangerous it does not seem like a point of embarrassment it's that oh shit what happens if odo doesn't get back to the bucket initially i thought he would turn into liquid and then he would leak out of the elevator and get electrocuted i thought the danger was uh was life threatening did you surmise that that it was purely about his shame from um, jump i mean i I don't know. I this is an episode that I remembered pretty well, so I don't. I, I think I knew that it was leading to that. All right. But um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you like how I felt about it the first time. I mean, it is. I mean, shame might not be the right way to put it. Like, not everything we want to do in private is something we're ashamed of. It's just that mm-hmm. we have kind of some feelings about uh, you know where our personal boundaries are, and he has very strong feelings about this. Uh, and and it's not something he's ever shared with anybody willingly. He's afraid to show Loxana his whole asshole, and <laughs> and if he goes liquid, like that's what he's doing. Yeah. No one has ever seen me like this before. She really draws him out. Like he's he is initially like angling his body away from her and like just trying to kind of maintain a professional distance of like we'll be out of here shortly like the crew is working on it and and everything about the way he is around her is is closed off yeah like his uh his posture and what his shoulders do yeah and and his change is gradual like he begins he begins fairly sweaty and then he turns into a guy who really needs some uh neutrogena oil cleaning face wipes and then he gets really red <laughs> yeah can you imagine if you got that wet every time you got tired? Who says I don't? <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to her, and she like the way she draws him out is by is by kind of talking at him. Like she tells him stories. She tells him a story from a TNG episode. She's like, I get stuck in elevators all the time. He cannot help but have things to relate to her because it's just a maelstrom of anecdotes, and eventually, there's one that that he responds to and like <laughs> she takes off the wig at one point and and shows it to him to show that like hey we we're, we can be embarrassed in front of each other i know i made that comment about your hair earlier but <laughs> you can just have mine <laughs> yeah. if that helps you look at this under this wig we have the same hair <laughs> for a character that we have lampooned for so many episodes like she actually has a real expression of platonic love for odo and and her attempt to come to an understanding for what he's going through. One of the problems I had though is like if Odo is truly formless like as a resting state then it's it was hard for me to take his vanity about his physical expression seriously. Hmm. But it's it's how broken the actor is in his portrayal of this that really makes the moment shine for me. Like this there's so much truth between them happening and it's all character based they're not saying a ton off of the page it's it's their expression and their nuance here that i was really shocked by at at like the the gravity of emotion here yeah all of this is happening (laughs) because chief o'brien clicked on a phishing email and got his his gmail hacked and uh they come up with kind of a metaphor for to instruct their thinking about what is going on with the computer. I had a pup once. If I had to lock him up, he'd scratch forever at the door trying to get out. And it is that uh, the equivalent of a computer 
program that is like a puppy. It wants attention and it wants to play. It's uh, got a childlike interest in hanging out, uh, but they just need to get it out of the computer. So they, uh, they're trying to load it onto honey sticks at one point, and it's kind of the like harassing Siri technique where they just keep asking like like tricky questions of the computer and let it lets it churn on those questions while they while they attempt to like load chunks of this program onto the honey sticks and pull them out and it's a uh, real daisy from 2001 moment here yeah yeah and uh it doesn't go super well like the 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 puppy kind of outsmarts them and and the stakes get raised uh even further than Luwaxana and Odo being stuck in the elevator by Bashir, who takes the diplomats on a walk through kind of a bad part of town where uh, they're like walking down some hallway and just like a door that they're walking toward explodes in a huge ball of fire. So what's the matter with you? And uh, I guess the station has some sort of like automatic lockdown where all the doors come down and it uh, it sort of looks like they're just going to be burned alive in there. It's really intense. You don't want to take a walk down Fireball Alley. <laughs> Bashir's having that bad of a time with with these people that he's willing to do it. And uh, the whole idea of the of the station clamping down in a fire really made me think of like what happens when you have a fire on a submarine and how dangerous that is. Like right. a, a fire in space has got to be the most terrifying thing. You got to close off those bulkheads at them. Yeah. Now, when you're renovating a space station, you're going to want to have an inspector come in and do a check for asbestos. If you don't, if you don't mitigate any asbestos, you could run the risk of your entire work crew contracting me- mesothelioma. 21st century regulations stipulate <laughs> that a working fire suppression system should be checked every six months. That way, your diplomatic mission won't be in danger of being burned to a crisp. So Bashir and uh, and the uh, and the diplomats are Bashir and the diplomats was my uh, was my uh, surf rock band in college. But um, oh yeah, these guys are these guys are getting burned. Why wasn't that band popular? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, they're getting burned to a crisp down there, and uh, and so like the stakes are are that much higher. And O'Brien realizes that they are. Like if if their puppy metaphor holds, then they've been going around about getting it out of the computer in exactly the wrong way. Do you think Odo could put out a fire if he turned himself into liquid and then like threw himself on it? <laughs> could Odo like throw half of himself at something and be fine? Would he would he grow the rest back? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if Odo were able to split up. That would be great. There'd be eight little Odos doing security around the ship. So many questions about Odo. Me too. What do they do? They like, I think O'Brien says he's got to build a doghouse. I'm not sure I know what you're getting at. They really just get totally carried away with this metaphor. God, no kidding. And like O'Brien goes on and on about the time he had a puppy and all of the behaviors of the puppy. As someone with a new dog, it's all I want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I understand that. But still, yeah. like, be a professional, O'Brien. I was just yelling at the TV, this is a metaphor. You don't even know if it's the right metaphor. Like, it's a compu- an alien computer program. Why do you? Why are you so fixated on it being a puppy, O'Brien? So he, uh, he creates a partition, like, full of, uh, full of meat scraps <laughs> that attracts the program. It's a... Hot dogs hitting girls face dot gif the partition. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> but what ends up happening is they end up Moriartying the program. Mm-hmm. Like they they uh, they close the door behind it, and this poor puppy is stuck in this computer partition. Cisco's like, "What are you going to do with it now?" And O'Brien's like, "Oh, I'm, I I swear I'm going to take care of it like a Tomagotchi pet. I'm going <laughs> to." I'm going to feed it and stroke it and love it. Yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. You've and, seen what a great father it. I am. <laughs> There's no way this is going to come back to bite us. <laughs> yeah. I wonder I wonder whatever goes down with this program. Oh! I 
back in the uh, cargo elevator, Odo has turned himself liquid and has hopped into Loxana's dress, which she has sort of opened up in a bowl. Yeah, it's like a, it's like an idyllic painting of a of a girl going apple picking, except for it's an older woman in a wig with a goo man. That fabric is a not not a natural textile. Then, <laughs> I, I, like she's wearing a tarp, right? She's uh, she she has all of her dresses sprayed with Scotch Guard just in case. <laughs> You know, she's she's down for a lot of sexual hijinks, so you never know what's going to spray on you. Gross. <laughs> Ten minutes have gone by, and I've totally forgotten about Bashir. What happened with them? <laughs> uh, so they get the the pup program uh, shunted into the uh, the computer, and, um, and so everything is like coming back to normal, and. Uh, and I think Cisco and Kira have both been trying to cut into the section of the station that Bashir is stuck in with the diplomats it, with phasers. And it is it is just like hardened armor that is closing this section off. It's like a bank off. vault door. Yeah. So they haven't been able to do it. They finally get it open. They run in there with like space level, with with a... With Space fire extinguishers, which are which are an awesome prop that I totally want one of. Um, like if you could, if I could have one of those on the wall of my office, I would be so fucking geeked out. I would be so thrilled. Area man killed in house fire when <laughs> when sci-fi prop fire extinguisher fails to extinguish fire. Story at eleven. <laughs> Area dork face killed. <laughs> Anyways, the uh, they're gonna save that for the part of the local news that's the lighter side, <laughs> like the last two minutes. Yeah, Bashir and uh, and his charges have taken a newt from aliens approach to avoiding the fire, and they crawl out of a uh, a, a crawl space down near the floor, and uh, the ambassadors are all. Very complimentary of Bashir's uh, strategy for keeping them alive, and uh, give him give him uh, you know high high marks with Cisco, and then we get a little button on the episode. Yeah, Luxana runs into Odo on the promenade, and they and they share that moment that people have after they experience a traumatic event together. It's kind of like the a- morning after at the water cooler at the office. Yeah. Two people who have shared a little bit more than they expected to after happy hour drinks. Waxana's a little less grabby in this exact <laughs> moment, but she still puts it out there that next time she may be down. And this is an idea that isn't totally crazy to Odo in this moment, I don't think. Especially because as she turns and walks away, Odo totally gazes upon that ass. Mm. Did you did you follow his eyeline here? Uh, I didn't. Did he Did he turn to camera and say... It's a shame to have to sit on something that pretty. <laughs> Your Odo sounds a lot like the Batman. <laughs> if there's one thing I hate, <laughs> it's the idea of having to take off the bat suit to fuck. <laughs> Most women find it strange that Alfred is in the bedroom with me. <laughs> but I need him to get me out of this thing. I've asked Lucius Fox down at the office to develop a spring-loaded codpiece that can be ejected at will, but it's going to take the boys in R&D a little extra time. Hard to cover that one up as a military, as a piece of military research. Not only does Alfred get me out, he puts me in. How do you think I perform oral <laughs> with this thing on my face? I, too, am a good friend of Alfred's, Batman. <laughs> friend of Alfred means is code for the type of sex when you have someone else put you in. <laughs> We're a very small group. You merely adopted chowing on pussy, Batman. I was born doing it. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Ben? 
this episode definitely won me over. I think that they kind of fucked up having some pretty thin bullshit ideas about how to get them into the elevator. But once they were in, um, the those two performances were really good and uh, and and kind of made it all worth it in a way. How about yourself? You're totally right. the The buildup is awful. This had all the makings of an awful episode from Jump. But this is like if Problem Child had the ending of Rudy. <laughs> like by the end, I was totally affected by the story in a strong way, a way that I did not expect at all. I, I, was, I was ready to bail, but I'm glad I stuck around for this ep because like this doesn't fix the, the problem of Loxana, but she has a great moment here and... It's a, I would argue it's a stronger moment than the one she had in TNG when she talks about her dead daughter. Right. Grief is a thing that humanizes everyone in, you know, no matter what their different expression of grief, I think it's, it's a unifying feeling for everyone who is, experiences it. Like, Waxana chooses to be a good person in this elevator in a way that makes her more of a redeeming character to me in this case than she did when she was grieving uh, on the holodeck. Like, this this feels more real to me and powerful. Like, she doesn't have to do this in the way she has to come to terms with her dead daughter. And that that really worked for me. I think it's just that she's never had an opportunity... I guess in the uh in the Mr. Timmons episode she's she's kind of more selfless like like right. a lot of her episodes have been about like her you know doing something on her own behalf that's all about her and like kind of breezing past the impact that it's having on other people and not really caring about it and a couple of times now she's had a an episode where uh she gets an opportunity like and and without breaking character an opportunity to do a good thing for somebody and it shows that she is a caring person it's just that she's got kind of a a persona that is a, a persona and a sense of self that is like so big that it fills up most rooms she's in but if uh if she is connecting with a person she really does uh care for them and and want what's best for them and she's not the the asshole she could appear to be at first glance. That's the essential contradiction about her characters. Like, why is an empath so self-centered? Right. Like, if her if her nature is about the feelings of others. Well, I've got a feeling we have some Priority One messages, Ben. You want to check those? I love checking Priority One messages. Everybody knows that. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is of a personal nature, and it is from me, and it is to Q. And it goes like this. What is this? Where am I? This is not the Sesame Street. And that's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Value for your P1 dollar right there. Yeah. I I am baffled, Adam. I I really wish I knew what was going on ever. <laughs> Maybe this this time more than ever. Almost entirely unintelligible. It's it's in, it's unintelligible. I can only hope that there's some like social network code going on. You know, like there's a. I there. Did you know that there's now a Greatest Generation Slack group that hangs out? Oh, I have heard that. I don't have Slack though. Oh, it's just a website. Uh, oh, it's not an app. I thought it was an app. Uh, you can you can do it as an app, but you can also just do it through your browser. But uh, yeah, you know, I feel like when when we find out that something like that exists, you know, we know about the Reddit and the Facebook, and to a lesser extent, the Friends of Desoto chat group. Now the, the Slack Tor site. Yeah, like the the there are so many places that people are getting together to talk about this that this must be meaningful to somebody. <laughs> You know, but 
We like it. It would be it would be like an eighty-hour-a-week job if we had, uh, if we if we were doing like a proper survey of all of those places and and modes of communication. I sure am grateful we have moderators <laughs> who have self-appointed. Yeah, we are super lucky. Ben, our second priority one message is from Ensign Scotty. It is for Dave Toolman Tool, and the message goes like this. Congratulations on your recent engagement. I'm so happy you finally found the Rashawn to your Kevin. <laughs> or is it the Keiko to your O'Brien? Oh, no. Here's to many years of sipping good tea at your nice house. Can't wait to see you at President's Day Rock Weekend. Live long and do it like you brew it. What's this? Extra characters? Well, okay then. Fuck Plavim. <laughs> <laughs> Twist ending. This yeah. P1 message directed by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Both of those marriages are awful, right? The Ke- whether it's Kevin Rashan or Keiko and O'Brien, I don't think you you want to wish that either of those onto your good friends, right? In one, you are either a rule doll or someone who lives forever. <laughs> and in the other, you're in a loveless marriage. Yeah. You think uh, Keiko and and Chief O'Brien have a lot of seasons of TV to to put together like a more healthy relationship? Do you think they'll ever do it, Adam? How many seasons are there to find out? Uh, like another another hundred episodes at least. Oh, there's like a hundred and fifty episodes at least. <sighs> I think it says a lot about how I feel about Keiko and O'Brien, and that like. I don't know if I care, Ben. Oh, Adam. I love the show. I just don't... I I can't ride for that relationship at this point. Yeah. It's too far gone. No. Well, if if our show isn't too far gone enough for you to consider a priority one message, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. And as Ben always says, they're a great way to keep the lights on at this here production. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think O'Brien is crazy in this episode. (laughs) And uh, he should have been relieved of duty fairly early on. Yeah. He is not talking much sense he's talking in abstraction and metaphor that he just sort of expects Bajorans to understand like he's got a Bajoran tech working with him yeah and he's talking about puppies like she would even know what he's talking about <laughs> how's she supposed to get her work done while he's talking about things that she's never experienced <laughs> that that's been, not being a good boss O'Brien that would have been a fun take if they just showed her looking at him with total confusion <laughs> <laughs> yeah O'Brien, how about you? Uh, I am going to give it to Lawaxana, and uh, it is for the the dick grab, the off camera over the pants dick grab that she she does, because <laughs> it's uh, it is hard to read that scene as anything less. Uh, if you if you want to look at it, I think it's like thirteen minutes and thirty seconds or forty five seconds into the episode, like. She is definitely reaching around below the belt when she uh, when she goes and pushes herself up against him. She doesn't really know him. She's met him one other time in a probe. If you are Major Barrett and you are you are Star Trek nobility, <laughs> you could you have a license to kill on any Star Trek set. Yeah. You have a license to grab some junk, I think. Mm-hmm. They are not going to throw you off the set. Uh, no. I think that gives a little more credence to the idea that she actually grabs some hog. Yeah. Uh, if anybody ever goes on like one of those cruises or goes to a, a convention where they're where they get Rene Aubergenois up on uh, up on stage and answering the questions, pronunciation is a thought crime. <laughs> <laughs> Rene Aubergenois. <laughs> yeah, ask him. That would be I, a fun. I would love to know. <laughs> That's what you want to do is corner him on the Star Trek cruise mm-hmm. near a railing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he'll, he'll, uh, he'll hear 
a phone ring and go, what is that, the communicator? Gotta go! <laughs> Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what's coming up on the next episode? Next episode is Season 1, Episode 17. Dramatis Personae. Odo is caught in the middle when an alien influence pits Kira against Sisko in a deadly power struggle. Adam, shall we find out if we are going to be drunk for this episode? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, the, re the reviews are in from our last shit show episode. And <laughs> yeah. High marks for us. Yeah. Us being, us being on the verge of passing out was apparently great for people. <laughs> it sure does cut both ways when, when the majority of people... Uh, respond with I wish you were this drunk all the time <laughs> thank you for encouraging good life choices by me and Adam um, we, we've talked a little bit offline about our random number generator and maybe augmenting that in the future I think we'll probably wait until we're through season one to make any tweaks to that but uh, but uh, we, we were talking about some other like some other random squares we could land on 
and uh, fun ideas for that. So um, if you have ideas for those kinds of things, uh, I, I would love to see like a like a collaborative document get put together of like things we could try just just to have like a, like some stuff to consider. I feel like Adam and I have like eight or nine ideas, but uh, but you know, go go sick. I wonder if we could make this into a board game. Oh, in such a way that like we roll dice at the end of every episode, and it just advances us forward that number of squares, and then we land on X. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe one of them is like a shoots and ladders punishment where we go all the way back to season one, episode one. <laughs> I like it. No. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Well, Adam, these people have been clicking their clon peaks long enough. Should we uh, see what our fate our fate is? Let's do. It's a ten. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. So uh, we will we will be normally inebriated not totally inebriated next time sounds great <laughs> i'm i'm relieved well one thing that comes as a big relief to us is the unwavering support of our viewers uh, they support us in so many wonderful ways they go on uh, apple podcasts and leave a nice review they recommend us to their friends and family um, which, you know, is uh, is a great way to stick it to us also because this does remain a pretty embarrassing enterprise for us. So uh, if you want to embarrass us or help us grow our audience, uh, you know, put the word out there. I mean, as, as ashamed as we are of this thing, that remains one of our highest priorities, right? Yeah. Give our other show, Friendly Fire, a try. There's like three or four episodes out by the time you hear this. That's right. It's our war movie podcast with John Roderick, Benjamin R. Harrison, and yours truly. I think you'll like it. Uh, we should thank Adam Ragusea and Dark Materia for the music you hear on the program. We should thank the great folks at MaximumFun.org who provide a lot of support. And uh, there's so many great podcasts over at MaxFun that uh, everybody listening will surely enjoy. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that can't stop yelling at each other. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.